And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 20. Uh, we're going to talk about Rudolf Steiner and philosophy with our, uh, our good buddy, Rick Emerson. Hey there. <laughs> um, all right, so let's jump right into this. So, Rick, do you uh, what got you into Rudolf Steiner? Like, what did you read one of his books, or did somebody tell you about him? Well, uh, that's a good place to start because uh, I was going to school years ago at U of M, University of Michigan. I had transferred there from the Naval Academy. I dropped out after two years. I realized I don't take orders very well. And <laughs> uh, was doing all right in my classes. Felt very stifled, very, very oppressive in the uh, military academic environment I was subjected to. And uh, so I left. And I transferred to U of M. And I started uh, getting more into uh, poetry, literature, writing, so forth. And I started doing a lot of reading outside of class. And uh, I started reading the Bhagavad Gita, nice. which is essentially the uh, Hindu Bible. And I started considering a lot of ideas that weren't taught in the classroom. And that year, uh, this, was, this was a long time ago. Anyway, uh, I was reading a book called uh, Humboldt's Gift, written by Saul Bellow won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1976. And I love that book. I've read it probably seven times at least. And all through the book, he's referring to a man named Rudolf Steiner. And uh, I love the book. It, it got it, it, The book basically was about uh, the death of poetry in America. There it is. Very good. That's okay. it. I have that copy. <laughs> that, that jacket. Anyway, uh, all through the book, Bello is referring to Rudolf Steiner as being one of the most significant individuals of the 20th century. And here I was, uh, had gone to two really good schools, and I had never heard of Rudolf Steiner. Mm -hmm. So I proceeded to uh, find out who this man was. And I started to realize that not a lot of people knew about Rudolf Steiner. Everybody I knew, not, not one person had heard of Rudolf Steiner. And I started going to bookstores. Bookstores didn't carry his books. And I finally went to uh, John King Books on uh, Woodward. And the guy told me, uh, go down to uh, the Mayflower, which is right down Woodward in Ferndale at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was a gentleman, uh, Robert Thibodeau, who's, who I've known for close to 40 years as a uh, who owns the Mayflower, I walked in there and I found Steiner's books. Uh, you know, a lot of his books. Uh, you know, Thibodeau had been studying Steiner for quite a while and was very much involved in uh, his activities with the Anthroposophical Society, which is what Steiner started in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so I, I looked at some of his books, and I picked up a book. It was called uh, Life Between Death and Rebirth. 
And I was I was uh, staggered by the title. Sure. Somebody somebody could write a book about life between death and rebirth. And I had already been considering reincarnation as a pretty much uh, self-evident reality, to me anyway. It's the kind of thing that you, you, it's not worth arguing about. It's, it's a matter of uh, acknowledging it, arriving at it, as uh, the inev- inevitable consequence of uh, human activity. Sure, sure. Um, everybody has a past. Everybody's been here, I believe. And during the course of your life, you continually confront yourself with circumstances, people, events, things that were significant to you in your past, your karma, as most people know. You know, have heard the word karma. Right, right. Uh, So anyway, that's how I encountered Steiner. It was a long time ago. And it, it literally changed the course of my life. Because he was entertaining everything that I was agonizing over at the time. Like uh, I had had a lot of a number of very unusual experiences with death. I had seen a number of people die right in front of me, and wow. it had a very very profound effect on me, as it would with anybody, I would imagine. Yeah, sure. And uh, I was having some very very unusual dreams. Uh, Events like uh, you, you might call them uh, serendipity, mm-hmm. synchronicity, synchronicity. Yeah, synchronicity. I think everybody is familiar with that word. It's it's yeah. like a, a cosmic occurrence uh, with the, the timing. You you can't rationally explain sometimes. You know, like events, circumstances, people, activities. Right. Something will happen. Yeah, or, or you'll you'll encounter a word and you'll be thinking that same word. You'll see a number. Right. You know, every, everybody's had that. You know, and I, I've had my share. And uh, anyway, Steiner. Basically, what Steiner did was he reconciled the scientific method with spiritual cognition. Steiner was born with the capability of consciously perceiving the spiritual realm, and. Uh, this is a faculty that not everybody possesses. Very few people do. Right. And uh, he realized that not everybody could do this. So it was somewhat of a uh, bewildering situation for him. So he proceeded to uh, do all the usual academic, you know, he went through all the hoops, the academic hoops. He got his degrees. He became a doctorate in philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, he did his thesis, uh, and uh, do you think you had trouble finding his books early on because they weren't a lot of them weren't translated or a lot of his stuff wasn't translated? Because I know if you look like Nietzsche stuff, even some of that stuff still, you know, mostly in German and stuff. Well, that's a good question. But a lot uh, he, he was, you know, he was born in the area now known as Croatia, you know, the Balkan Peninsula, that, right. that area. Yugoslavia used to be called um Lots of geniuses out of that area. Tesla's from over there, too. Oh, yeah. Tesla was Serbian, I believe. Yeah. It's a very uh, fertile area, you know, Eastern Europe in particular. Uh, but Steiner um, was so remarkable in, in the, uh, the things he considered and the, the uh, conclusions he had drawn. And... Uh, I, I was, you know, th- that was like back in the 70s of the last century. 
when I first encountered Steiner. And I've been uh, diligently pursuing his work, his ideas since. And it's, it literally changed the course of my life. And I've, I've tried to uh, share my enthusiasm with people over, over time. And not too many people are that thrilled with Steiner like I am. But uh, he started the Waldorf School. He started yeah. biodynamic agriculture, which I, I, I presume eventually will help save the world from its uh, agricultural toxicity. Mm-hmm. You know, the food we eat is becoming very, very toxic. It, it, it's, uh, I think that's more just us playing scientists and just fucking with too much shit and as opposed to just letting nature deal with that, you know? Well, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I, I mean, that, that's a, a pretty glib, simple way of putting it, but I, I appreciate and understand what you're saying. Right. But, you know, let's, let's go consider some of the things that Steiner said. You know, he proclaimed many times that, you know, we've all been here. I, I already went over that. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we all come from the spiritual realm, essentially. Right. We are, we are uh, creations of beings that we can't comprehend. You know, these super sensible beings that do not incarnate like we do. Were they you? are the architects of the universe, the creators of the universe. It, it's a hierarchy. And it's... Uh, are you a spiritual are you a spiritual person before you even got into him? Like had you what did you grow up religious or was it just something that that's what kind of you know you were like an atheist until you found that or like what was your situation? No, I've never been anywhere near remotely connected with atheism. I, I think uh, atheism is like somewhat of a disease. Sure. To to not acknowledge the existence of God to me is like uh well, it's consistent with all the other confusion that's unfolding in our time. You know, gender confusion, mm-hmm. uh, uh, spiritual confusion. There, there's confusion on a lot of different levels, scientific confusion. Sure. You know, anything. You, you could apply that term, too. But uh, before I encountered Steiner, I, w- I would say my I, I wasn't brought up in a particularly religious family. I w- wasn't forced to go to church. I was very curious about church. A lot of my friends went to church. I was never made to go to church. I I was always interested in God, and I I felt this uh, deep sympathy to Jesus Christ, but I I didn't feel comfortable about churches. You know, churches always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Where where did you uh, grow up? Well, I was born in Highland Park. Uh, I grew up primarily in South Warren, a couple blocks from M&M. Okay. What's up? <laughs> and so and, and I, ironically enough, uh, a good friend of mine who's no longer among the living worked with Eminem, Steve King, who was in my band at one time. Nice. He's a very good friend. He worked with Eminem, uh, won a Grammy working with Eminem. And that, was, that was my same, uh, same neighborhood. He lived on Jewett. I lived on Federal. So... What, uh, so were you, so your, was your family, were they Catholic? Were they just Christian or was it just kind of like you said, it just wasn't that big, made to be that big of a deal? Well, uh, it was, it was a Christian family. I would say we, we celebrated Easter and Christmas. We, you know, uh, would go to church on Easter, you know, but right, right. I mean, occasionally, uh, but, but it was definitely a, a 
Christian culture, you know, I, I would say, the, the consequence of a Christian culture. But it was never something that was imposed on me. It, it was something I arrived at on my own. What, uh, when you look at uh, Rudolf Steiner's work, was it, because I know what got, you know, Maurice and I have been obviously looking into all this stuff, and obviously your son Chris is all into Eastern philosophy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I looked at this stuff, I thought the interesting aspect of it was, like you said, you know, he had the word spiritual, he made up the word spiritual science, which is kind of exactly what it is. I think that those two things, marrying those two ideas, is the perfect marriage when you're ter- talking in terms of philosophy or life after death and all that kind of stuff, because I don't think one one can't survive without the other, meaning that um, you need the science f- to back up, you know, what you're seeing and, in, 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 you know, interacting with every day. But then you also need the spirituality side of things to kind of balance that out too, because that's not the full spectrum either. So I think for me, having that balance and always, I've always been like a science-based person, but I've also been a spiritual person. I was raised Catholic um, and I, 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 you know, God and Jesus and those were all wonderful things to learn about. And I had always had this like, you know, want, craving for mystery and, and mysticism and all that kind of stuff. But then like you're saying, like religion's kind of bunk on a certain level. So, you know, that was the disconnect was the actual church part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, to get back to what I was talking about, like, do you think that having those two concepts married uh, in his work, is that what lured you in? Or was it just some of the actual material pertaining to what he thinks happens after we die? Very good question. Uh, let me let me uh, answer that f- from several different angles. Uh, first of all, when I was going to the Naval Academy, I had a very uh, heavy uh, math and science curriculum. I had a lot of uh, you know differential equations, uh, 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 calculus, trigonometry, uh, everything that you would typically find in uh, you know undergraduate math, uh, physics, chemistry. You know, uh, a lot of engineering classes, and uh, I, I slowly, gradually started to long for, uh, and I I'd always loved music. I always had loved music, and uh, I started to gradually drift in towards uh, literature. I, I started to become very, very fascinated with writers, literature, poetry, the life of poets, and music, and uh I started to write. I started to write stories and poems and eventually songs. But uh, the science, uh, when, you, when you talk about science, that's, that's a good, good uh, topic to, uh, to, to really penetrate, to, to clarify. Science is, is essentially ascertaining the truth, really. You know, when you strip it down mm-hmm. to its essential core, science is like... Uh, open like scrutiny to ideas you know uh, peer-reviewed ideas like you, you proclaim something to be true and it, you, you leave it open to scrutiny and, and anybody can challenge your, your presumptions challenge your theories your hypotheses and so forth and uh, I, I think what the problem with science is uh, over the course of uh, the last few hundred years since, you know, the scientific revolution around the time of the 15th century or so, it, it, is that uh, 
they've applied the scientific method to, to, to physical reality, okay? And most science, and, and that would be probably most people would refer to that as reductionist science. Now, what Steiner did is he applied the scientific method to the human being itself. And he started, he wrote a very, very extraordinary book called The Philosophy of Freedom, which is another one of his books I've read numerous times. And it just it blew me away the first time I read it back in 1980. It was uh, basically an exploration into uh, epistemology, which is the fundamental science of all other sciences, really. It's like, how do you know what you know? Mm-hmm. Not too many people ask themselves that question. How do you know what you know? And that's, that's uh, you have to ask yourself that question if you're serious at some point in your life. And you have to really observe the process that you engage in when you arrive at something. But, you know, when you go through the scientific method, you know, you're given certain conditions and, and you arrive at other conditions. And Steiner uh, basically broke it down beautifully for me. And, and it just... Uh, clarified so many confusing aspects of, of epistemology that I was still struggling with at the time. But, but uh, essentially, you cannot separate yourself from uh, the, 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 you know, the scientific method. You are the one who's engaging in the science. You are the one that says, I am. Yeah, we're, the, we're the observer. You're the observer and you're the participant. You know, you're both. And, uh, and much more. Well, yeah, because he's but, all about like I, how your how your body's the vessel and our souls kind of like driving the vessel, basically. Well, here's another thing we should probably clarify to continue on this is that uh, and Steiner again did this very beautifully, exquisitely, I might say. He broke down the uh, the levels of uh, complexity that we're confronted with in the human experience when we're born. Like you have, for instance, uh, the, the mineral realm. You, you've heard of the four levels of complexity, I'm, I'm sure, at one time or another. Maybe not. But I think this is what through. you're talking about. Is this what you're talking about? Yeah. What's that? Is this what you're about to go into? What, 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 do you, what, wait, wait, wait. what is all this? The thought structure. Oh, very nice. If you talk, Kevin, it'll stay out. no i'm just talking about you know acknowledging the given conditions of the world in which we live we have a mineral realm which is pretty uh self-evident you know the minerals that that are pretty much inert as we perceive them all right that's the first level of complexity inert minerals okay when you go and then you go from the minerals to the plant world where you have uh the minerals are part of the plant, but also in the plant you have uh, a designing principle that is entered into the uh, mineral realm, mm-hmm. which does not exist in, in the mineral realm by itself. It, but when you get to the plant world, you have you have uh, this super sensible aspect that, that is uh, holding. You know, it, it's subjecting the minerals to a lot of very unusual, amazing, beautiful processes photosynthesis being one of them, you know, and just the uh, sustenance of the plant, you know, the root system, blossom, seed, all of it, you know, it's, it's pretty extraordinary when you really think about it. 
But you go from the mineral realm to the plant realm, and something is introduced between the mineral realm and the plant realm that's not there for the mineral realm. And Steiner called that the ether body. It's it's the uh, etheric realm, he called it. It's a super sensible realm that holds the physical world together. And there's a cosmic ether. And it's it's, it's very, you know, we could talk for years on this, literally. But I, I'm, I'm keeping it quite simple for for this, for the you know, the sake of this broadcast, but uh, you, you go from mineral to plant, and, and then from the plant, the next one up is you know, plant to animal. All right, now what, what does the animal have that the plant doesn't? Think the ether. It. No, no, the, the, the plant has the ether. Oh, you're saying okay. The yeah. Animal has the ether, but what, what does the animal have that the plant doesn't? Uh, mobility, thought, intelligence. Well. <clears throat> Animals primarily are instinctive, but but they they do That's have true. a feeling. They have a feeling life. Right. Emotion. Animals are very very intense in their feelings. Anybody who's had a dog knows that, or a cat, or any kind of a pet. Right. Animals are, are very very you know emotional creatures, just like human beings are. All right. Animals have the mineral realm. They have the ether body, and they have what Steiner calls the astral body, the soul. Okay, okay, they have a soul, an animal soul. They do not have what with the next level up, which is a human being from the animal. And now, what, what does the human being have that the animal doesn't? You know? Consciousness. Well, yeah, yeah. They, they can say "I am." They have an ego. They have a spirit. They have an identity. They have individuality. The animals belong to a group soul. Human beings are individuals, although they all belong to groups of, of varying degrees and dimensions and so forth. But animals cannot say I. Animals cannot think. You know, they're, they're pure instinct, where human beings mm-hmm. can think. They have an I. They have an ego. And that's right. the, the most uh, sacred element of our being, the highest expression of our being, the most divine. So Steiner clarifies all this when you get into his works and, and all the uh, consequences and, and all, all the beings that inhabit the spiritual world who affect not only your physical body, your ether body, your astral body, and your ego, your spirit. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I mean, that's why we're, you know, basically into this, dude. I mean, actually, I had been studying this other thing called the Urantia Papers, and I had been looking into Edgar Casey. Like, I know a ton about Edgar Casey. Um, and then one day, Kevin, called, or Kevin texted me. He's like, check this guy out. Um, so I started checking him out. I'm like, yeah, a lot of this stuff, it's all kind of like tiered down through time. Like, do you know who Madame Blavatsky is? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. She's like the precursor to Steiner, then came Steiner and then Steiner and, uh, Casey were kind of in the same realm as far as time. Well, well let me interject here real quick. Uh, Steiner is on his own level between, uh, Blavatsky uh, you know, Edgar Casey or anyone else. Uh, well, they're Steiner, different. I, I think wasn't Blavatsky and and Casey. They were more cl- straight clairvoyant. They weren't really applying sciences to these things as much as they were just doing readings and coming up with stuff and you know doing it through that way. Well, well, first of all, Steiner was what what is commonly referred to as an in- initiate. Okay, he was uh, a major. He was a great initiate. He was one of the most significant individuals uh, to, to exist in a long time. 
uh, most people have never heard this term, like uh, initiation. Well, they've heard initiation. Well, but I actually, I read the uh, t- how to know the higher or the right. um, knowledge of the higher, the higher world. world. Yeah, team. and that they talk right. about the initiate, what you're talking about right, right now. Right, exactly. Well, that, that's what Ste- Steiner was an initiate. An initiate is a person who possesses faculties that the rest of the human race will possess only in the future because of his karma, because of his uh, the disposition of his soul and his spirit and so forth and uh do you think that's he, equivalent to like enlightenment maybe or pardon me say that again i said do you think that would be like the equivalent to like enlightenment maybe if it was like well a, sure it's enlightenment but but initiation is, is a process where you uh, acquire faculties that you don't you did you didn't uh previously possess and, and you acquire these faculties through years sometimes many lifetimes of diligent uh discipline effort to control your thinking, control your lower nature, control your feelings, control every aspect of your being, you know. So basically but, but you're trying to build something thoughts. up that'll be carried over maybe in, in the next realm when you're... Well, everything you know, is carried over. Everything exists for all time. The, the Akashic Chronicle, you know, that right. was... Casey would go into his uh, somnambulistic sleeping state and, and he would access, you know, the, uh, the Akashic Chronicle. Steiner did it totally consciously. Okay, that, that's the difference. He, he's on a totally different level than Casey or Blavatsky. I got you. Or, so, you know, it, it was he was paving the way for, for the rest of the world. You know, w- w- what Steiner was experiencing, everybody else will. You know, in the future, it's it's some future time. So, do you think that maybe? Because um, from what I read, like I just said, he was less. Um, like if Casey and Blavatsky were, they, like I said, they were more clairvoyant, so they actually were using some gift that they were given to do something that was beyond their knowledge, and as opposed to what you're saying is Steiner put in the work, put in the time, understood this process, and, and came to that himself as opposed to being like given something or born with something. He actually accomplished something through um, understanding and philosophy and spirituality kind of. Yeah, somewhat. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a nebulous statement. Right, right. right. But, uh, but then I understand what you're trying to get at. Steiner, uh, it was his karma. You know, that, that's the only way I can say it. He, he was right. the person for, for, the, for the job at the time. It was greatly needed. You know, when he appeared on the scene, it was, you know, he was in the midst of the most materialistic age ever to, you know, have descended upon the world. You know, 19th century scientific materialism is legendary notorious you know uh you could go on and on about that but, but steiner had to find his bearings in the midst of all this he ended up uh, becoming the editor of, of, of numerous magazines uh, he uh edited uh, goethe's uh, scientific writings when he was 21 years old he, he was basically a genius you know as far as i'm concerned steiner was like the most remarkable individual I had ever encountered. No. He also obviously anthroposophy. Uh, um, that was a he, movement he started. Anthro, right, you know, right. You know, man, human. Like, like it's like the study of wisdom. Right, like looking within, kind of, kind of like Eastern philosophy, but more with like. No, a it's, it's definitely not Eastern. It, 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 I mean, there are aspects in in the sense that he talked about reincarnation and karma, but it was his his science. His spiritual science, his anthroposophy was totally 
geared for the Western person, for Western right. civilization. Well, I guess, and th- that's the difference, I think. Well, okay, so when I think of, you know, I, I, I don't even know if it's the same thing, reincarnation and incarnation. I believe what he's kind of saying is more of incarnation, meaning that it's your same soul that's inhabiting all these different vehicles. I think in Eastern philosophy, you could come back as a tiger or as a blade of grass, or it doesn't have to be. Um, it's more of what your nature is, and I think what he was saying. Well, that's is, not true. I mean, these 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 notions about people coming back as animals—it's it's just it's nonsense. You know, right, right. People, people don't come back as animals or blades of grass. People come back. <laughs> you, you have uh, you, yeah. you go through an extra. <laughs> although Hogan might. <laughs> <laughs> Blades of grass. <laughs> there is, He's coming yeah, back as grass. a plant. Right, right, right. But, but uh, no, everybody, everybody has a spirit. Your, your ego, it's called, and you right. have an astral body. The astral body, the ether body, and the physical body—they all go back to, to the mineral realm, to the cosmic ether, and to the astral realm. And then, the the only eternal, enduring part of your being is your ego, that part of you that says, "I am." Okay, it's it's like you know, in the transfiguration of Christ in the book of Matthew, for instance. You know, it, it was a very amazing experience because in, in, you know the last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi, and in that book, the last prophecy of the Old Testament. You know, you guys familiar with the covenant between Abraham and God? Are you familiar yeah. with that? No. Well, this is very important to understand because it's it's like part of the underpinnings of, of Judaism. You know, why why did the Jews come on the scene at that particular time in history? You know, the Hebrews were a wandering tribe in the Middle East, and God chose the uh, the Hebrews to do His work to to uh, create the perfect body for Christ to incarnate, and. Uh, there was, there was, uh, it, it's an amazing process. It, it still blows me away whenever I think about this, it, it, that God made uh, what, what is called the covenant with Abraham, in that God told Abraham that if you follow my law, uh, I, I will bring uh, the light of the world unto your people, you know. And uh, basically, God gave the Ten Commandments to the Hebrews. It was the first moral code, really, to, to be... Uh, clearly declared openly, you know, amongst anybody in the world. I, I mean, you go back to the Vedic writings, you know, Hinduism, you know, mm-hmm. all, all these things. There was never like a, a moral code like there was in the Ten Commandments. Yeah. The only thing like that's Hammurabi's uh, law from uh, ancient Sumeria, which you could say goes back to like 3600 BC, but they were more laws as opposed to like moral codes. Oh, this is a moral code. This is yeah. this is different. This right. has to do with the health of the ego. This is what this is all getting at. And w- w- what God was doing with the Hebrews was he wanted them to create the perfect body for Christ to incarnate. And now, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Jesus was not Jesus Christ until he was baptized by, by John the Baptist when he was 30 years old in the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. That's when... Uh, Christ came down and incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth when he was 30 years old. And he was Jesus Christ for three years. Okay. So, uh, the, that's in the, the life of Jesus. With, that's not, that's not in the Bible, but that's in the book of Jesus, all that. 
part what's not in the bible i said well the the part that you were saying just now yeah but like the actual life of jesus anybody that wants to because in the bible they don't talk about jesus's life from when he's like three till when he's like 30 um well there are four different books you know matthew mark luke and john and they're all extraordinarily different right they all tell they all give a different interpretation of of what happened It, it was such an extraordinary thing and this is something else to consider is that a, a number of occasions, Steiner, who uh, could, could clearly see into the spiritual realm, uh, at one time, he encountered the Christ being, and, and it was clearly one of the most profound, ex- the most profound experience of his life, encountering Christ consciously in the spiritual realm. And what Steiner said was that the incarnation of Christ in uh, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, over 2,000 years ago, was the fulcrum of all human civilization. It was, in fact, the most significant event to ever happen in the history of the world, this singular event. And this really has nothing to do with any of the churches that call themselves Christian now. Yeah, because no, this, this is wrong. different, you know. It's, uh, it's extraordinary. The, the more you get into this, the more humbling it is, because you realize... That you're part of this, that you have a role to play, you have a burden yourself to carry, you know, that's part of all this. And you have to ask yourself, what is it? What can I do to be part of this? So, so did he consider himself a Christian or was he just his own who, religion? Who, Steiner? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, the most interesting thing about all what you're talking about, too, is like after, you know, like I went to Catholic school, you learn about Jesus, but you don't learn about all those years in between when he's becoming, you know, adolescent into adulthood. And the actual person Jesus meditated, um, most people don't realize that they think he just prayed. But in the book of Jesus, uh, which part of it's in the Urantia papers, part of it was left out of the Bible. You can just read it as a book itself. Uh, but he talks about meditating so he can be closer to the Father, to you know the one true God. Um, so mo- mo- most people pray. That's like a one directional thing, you know. That's just, hey, I need help, kind of a thing. When you meditate, you truly are um, communicating. I think, at least. Well, <clears throat> there is uh, your, your mind is, is is a powerful thing. Your thoughts are it can can be very very powerful influential on on your behavior and your motivation for things you know and thoughts really are thoughts are real thoughts are more real than most people think they are and in fact if you go back to greek civilization you'll find that when the greeks considered thoughts ideas they thought of them as spiritual entities spiritual beings it wasn't until relatively recently in human history that people started to think of their thoughts as their own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's how far down we've come, you know, you know, since the Greek time and now, is that we think the thoughts are generated by the brain. You know, a lot of people think that. I don't. Yeah, there's a I lot of science the right now. They're trying, to, they're trying to show how consciousness isn't even real. It's just... This isn't what I believe. This is just a scientific scientific right, research right. through ba- behavioral side of things. But the behavioral scientists are saying that uh, everything that we have 
that we call consciousness is just learned behavior or through confirmation bias. So when you're a little kid, a lot of this develops. You grab something, oh, that's hot, don't do that, or that's cold, and then they're looking for a reaction, and then they know what to do or what not to do, or through life experience themselves. So they think that consciousness is just a built-up memory or um, circuitry uh, in all your synapses from everything that's happening. I don't necessarily believe this. I'm just, um, but that's where the science is going. I I think it is too, but. (laughs) That's why I dropped out of college. (laughs) Put up with this nonsense. You know, anyway, that's fine. I mean, you can believe what you want. But that uh, doesn't explain dreams. It doesn't explain DMT releases. It doesn't doesn't explain explain, anything. It doesn't doesn't explain anything. Uh, I mean, th- there's so much, so many uh, approaches you, you could take to uh, uh, come to terms w- w- with our being. But no matter what you you believe, you, you have to admit one thing: that we've been created by something. Right. And whatever this something is, it's far, far, far beyond us. Okay. It, it, it's 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 so overwhelming. It's it's beyond our comprehension, literally. Yeah, I mean, the Rancher paper talks about how as far as we might come in science to thousands and thousands of years, we'll, we'll never be able to prove God, and that's the whole point. Well, it's not a matter of proving God. I mean, it, it's that's not the issue. The, Just the, not like you're not, you're not, because he's something that we can't even fathom in this particular realm or state. Like, it's not like he's trying to hide or anything like that. We just are so unevolved spiritually and unevolved in you know knowing maybe we'll know when we get beyond this plane into the next one or whatever but for the you know they say this thing talks about how god is this light almost that you just you can't even perceive it in in what we are now so that's why you'll never be able to prove it because we're not capable of understanding it well if you're demanding proof of god then you aren't ready for it yet right it's it's to me it's absurd these kind of questions this kind of thinking I, I I've never really embraced any of that you know it, it's like I I've had so many experiences that, that cannot be explained rationally and uh, being somewhat you know uh, more more artistically inclined I I would I would say that most artists you know when they experience like uh, inspiration for instance you know. This this is it can be it can approach realms of ecstasy you know and mm-hmm. transcendence in in ways that, that normal prosaic thinking or being can't come close to you know there are dreams I've had experiences I've had that I, I cannot rationally explain and every time I have it's fallen way short. I think everybody but, has those experiences. Yeah, I, I agree. I would I would think so. Everybody has those experiences, but but what do you do with them? How how do you allow it to affect your life? You know? Right. I mean, yeah, that's why, that's why we're doing this podcast because right. as much as everybody experiences all the shit that we talk about all the time on this thing, nobody ever stops and thinks about it or thinks it's weird or th- you know, like the fact that we talk about this with your son Chris, the fact that we're here having this conversation through this technology or even here, period, is a fucking miracle on itself, you know. It is. It is. And I think that that's it's a starting point to, to acknowledge that we, we can't explain our existence through our own capacities. We need help. We need assistance. And we, we've always had assistance. We've always had sustenance. And it's always been 
uh, acknowledged throughout the ages that there is another realm, you know, it's there's a spiritual realm inhabited by spiritual beings we cannot see we've lost the ability we've come down we've descended into matter and this essentially is the challenge that everybody is confronted with do you want to engage in the forward conscious like transformation of the human race and engage in your own participation in that activity or are you going to allow life to, to direct you to where life wants to take you you know and it's it's really you could strip it down to this essential consideration is that you you're either moving forward upward back upward towards god or you you're going back down backwards i think that's really what the animals are you know mm-hmm. is the backward stream of evolution i think the idea you know the darwinian the typical darwinian concept of human beings evolving from animals like to, to, to me let's say i i just can't get with that yeah we came and, from like a tree shrew type creatures the first mammal that we were supposedly no no i i think w- w- the animals are like a, a testimonial to the, the the backward stream of evolution the animals incarnated before human beings did they came in earlier okay and right. uh the backward stream of evolution is the downward stream towards animalism. The upward stream is upward towards the spiritual realm. And this is a very, very, it had a very, very powerful, profound effect on the world. This idea that we've evolved from animals, okay? It's got a very, it's a very powerful, like, psyop, you know, on the world. You know, Not to get people, off topic, what do you think about that? Do you think that... We're potentially a hybrid of something, or do you think that we are descendants of, you know, primates, or what's what's your stance? No, on that? I I think that's absurd. I, I, I every fiber of my being re- rejects that idea. Do you think the we could Darwinian possibly notion. be a hybrid? I, I think I, I think evolution is pretty obvious. Everything is evolving. You can't you can't deny that. But the right. real evolution is the evolution of consciousness. You know, that's what we're talking about here, and. They're, they're really, you know, the incarnation of Jesus Christ was really the beginning of human beings like ego consciousness, when you really think about it, as individuals. It, it was like the ego of the world incarnated into the world. And that's really about the time when people started to really think more of themselves as individuals. You know, the idea that you could be forgiven, the idea that you could have karma, that you could have, you could be forgiven and you could be uh, redeemed. This, this was a new, new idea because the God had come down and lived in a human body. It was a one-time event in the whole history of the planet. Um, Do you think, okay, so when you talk about ego, it sounds like you're talking about it as almost a positive thing. When you look at other things like, um, other religious, you know, like the Vedas or stuff, they talk about dissolving the ego or going down and having an ayahuasca session and dissolving the ego, taking the ego because this supposedly the thought is is the ego is what's weighing us down. The ego is I want, I want, I want. Me, 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 no, no, me. wait, 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 hold on a second. Uh, the ego, like like I mentioned before at the beginning of this uh, conversation, the ego is the highest member of our being okay it's the part of you that says i am all right there is somewhere in the bible christ says you know before moses was i am okay 
what, what he's saying there is that the I am that, that that's clear. He's saying that the I am is the highest part of his being. It has always okay. been there. The I am is is the very thing that brought forth the Hebrews, that brought forth the world. So you could literally you. say that Christianity, not in the sense as we know it now, but Christ existed before the Jews, before Israel, or before the world. Okay, he even says it. Before Moses was, I am. You know? Right, well, his soul was, yes, created. Or, And you said, you know, like you said, he supposedly, you know, the Christ uh, soul came down when he was 30 and inhabited his body. Um, well, there was the Christ spirit. Yeah, you got to be uh, scientific about this. You know, spirit and soul are two different things. Right. You know, the spirit is that part of you which says I am. The soul is more of thinking, feeling, willing. You know, that sort of consciousness. Thing. Consciousness is. Your, your or is ego. that the general term of all of that? I'm not sure. I understand your question. Say that again. So, like, conscious. Normally, when people. Suggest consciousness. Consciousness is kind of like what you're saying. It's like self-awareness. It's uh, creativity. It's, um, you know, it's makes us, it's what distinguishes us from who, you know, just our bodies, you know? Right. Right. Animals have bodies. We have bodies. Right. We have, we have the higher spirit. We have uh, the ego. Okay. The animals don't have that. They have a group ego that doesn't incarnate. Gotcha. But the animals do not have incarnated in their animal bodies. They don't have, you know, an ego like we do. It's yeah, a higher expression. You wouldn't okay? think, I mean, because otherwise dogs wouldn't be man's best friend if that were the case, I would say. <laughs> well, you can become very attached to dogs. That's true. But, what? you know, back to, back to Jesus. There's one thing I, I wanted to uh, say. Is, is that in the Bible, there, there are two books, uh, Matthew and Luke, that, uh, that delineate the, uh, the, the lineage, the genealogy of, of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with this or you've ever heard this before, but in the book of Matthew, there is a, a, a Jesus child that is born. And in the Luke book, there, there is another Jesus child. They're, they're actually. Two different Jesus children who are born were totally different, totally distinct. Did you know that? No. No. Well, look, if you have a Bible, you know, look, look at the, uh, the genealogy of, of uh, Jesus, and, and you'll find that when uh, the genealogy gets back to uh, the house of David, David, you know, is like the, the, you know, the bloodline from Abraham, mm-hmm. you know, down, you know, from Adam, Abraham, Moses, down through... Uh, to, you know, Joseph King and Mary, Solomon. but, but the book of, uh, you know, David, for instance, uh, there were, they had two sons that were uh, connected to uh, the lineage of Jesus. One of them was Nathan and one of them was Solomon. Is this one of them? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to interject some comedy here. Jesus is back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. Anyway, there's a lot to consider. This is uh So they were imposters or what what were no, the No, they people? weren't imposters. No. 
No, this, this is some very extraordinary stuff, and I, I'm not sure I want to get into it right now in this in this context. You know, That's we fine. can uh, we can maybe jump to it next time or something if you want to come back. Well, all, all I'm about. saying is anybody is free to to uh, scrutinize the Bible. Anybody can access a Bible and uh, look for themselves and, and see this. This is a fact, you know. And you, you could look also into uh, the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, and the last prophecy of the Old Testament was that before the Messiah came, that uh, Elijah would would come again. You know, Elijah would be the uh, predecessor of the Messiah. And then when you go to uh, the book of Matthew, it's called the Transfiguration of Christ, where Jesus, uh, James and John, I believe, are with him. And uh, Jesus, uh, there's this extraordinary experience that these people have. The, The Christ appears overwhelms them, and then it all happens, and uh, Christ asked his disciples, uh, who do people in town say that I am? And one of them says, well, some say you are Moses. He says, no, I am not Moses. Some say you are Elijah, come again, which was part of the prophecy of the Old Testament, that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would come. And then Christ says right there in his own words in the Bible, he says that Elijah had already come. And they have done. To, they did to him what they're going to do to me. Essentially, is what he said in so many words. And that's mm-hmm. where we realize he's talking about John the Baptist. Okay, so essentially, it's right there in the Bible that John the Baptist was the reincarnation of Elijah. Okay, you would get a kick out of this this Urantia paper, man. I mean, a lot of the stuff you're talking about is a lot of the stuff that that uh, stuff's predicated on, along with more. Uh, cosm- cosmology type stuff that you know. It's, it's well, this, really... that's why Steiner. I, I think that's why Steiner came into the world at the time he did, is to uh, clarify these things for right. the world. Because it, you know, at one point he said that there was going to be in the 20th century the three greatest evils in the 20th century. For instance, think about this: would be Bolshevism, Catholicism. And Americanism. Yeah. <laughs> now, now think about that. Are you familiar with the Bolsheviks by any chance? Yeah, is that um, was that Russian? Well, the Bolsheviks were, were the revolutionaries, you know. Right. Killed the czar. That was all that Science Rasputin fight. stuff, and when Rasputin uh, cursed the czar, and then he was the final czar, and then his whole family got murdered, and that whole thing about right. how Rasputin right. died. Right. Yeah, the Bolsheviks. Yeah, that, that's another uh, conversation. There's an evil symbol. <laughs> but what, who was it that said there, there's going to be three devils or two? They said something similar to what you said, but it was people, and they said it was going to be Napoleon, then Hitler, and then somebody else or something. Oh, I, I you, you broke up on me there. I couldn't hear what you just. I was said. saying some, something you just said about like the like you know Americanism and all that stuff. Oh, the somebody, three greatest I, evils of the 20th century. Yeah, somebody said that about people. Three greatest evil people too. I, I think it was a clairvoyant or something. They said it would be Napoleon and then Hitler and then um, somebody else. And then I saw something the other day that was really fucking weird. Um, let me see if I can find this really quick. Um. I don't know, but it said Hitler, something about 129 years apart from like when Napoleon was born to when Hitler was born exactly. 
to when uh, they each won their first battle, they each lost their first battle. Like I have like ten things lined up that were exactly 129 years apart. It was fucking weird. Almost like they lived the same life, doing the same evil shit, equally through time. I don't know. It was weird. Well, the whole thing about Hitler is it's a, it's a, you could you could talk for years on that. You know, World War Two. World yeah, War One should probably wind down here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can get in. We can we can get into this shit next time. But uh, next time, yeah, that's right. Next time. No, this was super enlightening. I mean, because obviously, I've read some of Steiner's stuff and listened to a lot of the stuff on YouTube, and I know Maurice has listened to a lot of stuff. But there's just, I mean, you seemed like you were immersed in, into it for a while, so you have a obviously deeper well of all this stuff. So, well, there's yeah, one, like one other more. thing. Well, one, one thing I'd like to uh, introduce, uh, another very important aspect of his, his teaching, or actually his insights into reality, it'd be probably a more proper way of articulating it, is that, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, misappropriate uh, uh, Satan and Lucifer, these these diabolic entities from the Bible, okay, Uh I've no, you know, since I've been reading Steiner almost forty years now, it's uh, I've observed how people use uh, Satan and Lucifer. It's it's like they're interchangeable, as right. like uh, this amorphous, nebulous, diabolic entity that you can call Lucifer. Sometimes you can call him Satan. Call him, you know. Isn't but, Satan but the fallen angel, and then Lucifer is like his henchman? Basically, is I thought that's what. It was. Well, 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 let me just. Say this, you know, I learned this from Steiner, is that Lucifer and uh, Satan are two distinct, totally separate diabolic entities with totally different properties, totally different corrupting influences. And to really understand the nature of evil, for instance, and its influence in the world, you really have to understand these entities like Lucifer. And, uh, and Steiner claimed that Lucifer had incarnated in 3000 BC, around the time, you know, uh, you, you know, the ancient Orient civilization, and uh, Araman, and then there was the incarnation of Christ. So you had the incarnation of Lucifer, the incarnation of Christ, and Jesus of Nazareth. And there's one more major incarnation that's going to take place, and it's happening pr- pretty much right now. Uh, the fundamental groundwork is rapidly being laid for the incarnation of what Steiner referred to as Armin, which which is the uh, the Persian civilization's name for the entity that we refer to as Satan. So Armin and Satan are essentially the same entity, and Armin is essentially the uh, the deceiver of uh, materialism, whereas Lucifer would be like. Uh, the, the deceiver of the, the grandiose illusions of greatness that, that so effectively uh, corrupts so many people. Uh, there, so, there are a lot of nuances to this. But so, like, just for, yeah, for actually to play off of that a little bit in this, in the thing that we reference a lot to your answer papers, it talks about how at the beginning there was a rebellion, like the people that's supposed to set up this planet, because supposedly there's many planets and many universes that have similar life. Um, 
And it's almost like this like intergalactic council thing. Anyways, not to get into that, but uh, it talks about how Satan and Lucifer were part of a rebellion. They were like fallen angels that rebelled against God's will. Um, and that's when you had the people come down and mate with humans, and they were called the Watchers. I don't know if you're from the book in Enoch. Um, and, and it gets into all that, but they call Satan's real name, supposedly was called Caligastia. Um, and um, what they did was they came down, like you said, and they did their shit and were evil and misled people and yada, yada. And then what happened was they've been supposedly punished, I guess, if you want to say, and that they still, their spirit still lives on. And that's why we still have evil. Uh, that's why we still have, you know, this fight of darkness and light and good and evil and all that stuff. But kind of what you're saying makes sense. I mean, that goes along with what, you know, what I just said, that there were two different entities that were part of the same, you know, however you want to call it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You should definitely look into what, you know, the Urantia papers. Cause I think there's, a, I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's, I think it's one of the better literary pieces of all time, the way that this thing's structured. So we'll have to check that out. And I, I know Hogan's mentioned that to me before. I haven't, I haven't gotten around to checking it out, but yeah, there's a lot of similarities. It's definitely but, but, but a read what's, though. What's true is true. You know, true. <laughs> That's right. What's true is true. There, there is only one truth, right? So, and it's out there, according to Mulder <laughs> and Gully. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. This has been super enlightening, and we'll have you back on, and we'll get back into some of this, and maybe uh, we can talk about some other stuff because uh, there was a bunch of questions I wanted to ask you regarding all this stuff we just didn't get to, and I know Kevin has a few questions, but uh, we'll have you on again sometime in the near future, and we'll we'll get get to all that. So, but uh, sure, sure. All right, folks, that's uh, Rick Emerson, and uh, we're going to call it a night, and uh, you guys have a good one. Peace.